This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee on day 24 of the 60-day legislative session, where the full House of Representatives begins debate today on House Bill 1. That's the governor's plan to crack down on protests that were inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement. The Senate is also meeting this afternoon. Their agenda is a bit more mundane. They'll be taking up a plan to abolish the Constitution Revision Commission. We're not out of the woods yet on the COVID crisis, but state lawmakers are already working on plans for the next pandemic. This bill revises the Emergency Management Act and the public health emergency laws to improve state preparation for a pandemic or public health emergency and to ensure that our emergency management system and response efforts are as transparent and as accountable as possible. Speaking of the pandemic, a new political action committee is taking aim at the governor for his performance during the COVID era. He has a record that he must answer for. You know, roughly 33,000 Floridians are dead because of the coronavirus. Yet Governor DeSantis has taken a victory lap. Countless business owners had to give up on their dreams due to no fault of their own. Yet Governor DeSantis is pleased with himself. Why? A Senate panel votes to cap copays for insulin. We have three major manufacturers who over a period of years have bought off their competition. If we were in an illegal a drug conversation, we would call this a cartel. A Senate committee approves a bill condemning white supremacy and white nationalism, but Senator Kelly Stargell says it's more than just that. I think the point is, is as a country, everyone is hating on everyone. Mm -hmm. And I hate that about where we are right now. Another preemption bill sets sail in the legislature. This one deals with cruise ships. Every time one of these enormous ships comes to Key West, it rips up the bottom, chews up everything in its path, and leaves a trail of bleeding C4 behind it. Last year, residents of Key West voted to put limits on cruise ships to protect their fragile reef system. The legislature seems determined to overrule them. We'll also have your calendar of political events and the story of a Florida woman who told police she was lost for three weeks beneath the streets of Delray Beach. But first, a word from the sponsors. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. This public health crisis has shown our one-size-fits-all education system does not meet the needs of every child. Senate Bill 48 rethinks education and provides needed flexibility for students and families, giving students the tools and resources they need to unleash their potential. You can make a difference and improve our education system by visiting fledreform.com to tell your lawmaker to support SB 48. Paid for by Americans Prosperity Florida. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, March 25th. This is International Waffle Day, National Lobster Newberg Day, and National Medal of Honor Day. On this date in 1865, troops from New York and Louisiana squared off at the Battle of Bluff Spring. It's about 40 miles north of Pensacola near the Alabama border. It was actually more of a skirmish than a battle. In 1939, Billboard magazine introduced the Hillbilly Music Chart. They eventually changed the name to the Country Music Chart. In 1955, U.S. Customs seized copies of Allen Ginsberg's poem Howl, calling it obscene. And two years ago today, NASA had to cancel an historic all-female spacewalk because it did not have enough spacesuits that fit women. The daily COVID casualty counts are looking better. The Department of Health reported more than 5,100 new cases Wednesday, but just 31 fatalities. Florida's death toll has reached 31,480. Lawmakers at the state capitol are promising Florida will be better prepared during the next pandemic or any other sort of emergency. The House Pandemics and Public Emergencies Committee has approved a bill by its chairman, Representative Tom Leake, that says the governor would have to justify closing schools or businesses the next time he orders a lockdown. 
Members, this bill revises the Emergency Management Act and the public health emergency laws to improve state preparation for a pandemic or public health emergency and to ensure that our emergency management system and response efforts are as transparent and as accountable as possible. The bill, one, requires that state, the state health officer to develop a public health emergency plan to prepare the state for every foreseeable public health emergency and update it every five years. Two, it requires the Division of Emergency Management to maintain an inventory of state-owned personal protective equipment. Three, it increases transparency related to emergency orders, proclamations, and rules by requiring that such orders, proclamations, and rules list the statute or rule that is being amended or waived and list the expiration date. Four, it requires all emergency proclamations and rules to be posted online in a searchable format. Five, it requires financial reporting and audits during a long-term emergency. Six, it provides that the governor can spend from funds appropriated for other purposes or from the Emergency Preparedness and Response Fund, but must submit a budget amendment before he or she can spend from unappropriated general revenue or the Budget Stabilization Fund. Seven, it provides that the state health officer is responsible for reporting the number of cases and deaths during public health emergencies. Eight, it requires district medical examiners to assist the state health officer with identifying and reporting deaths upon request. Nine, it provides that a significant emergency order issued by a political subdivision must be narrowly tailored to reduce any infringement on individual liberty to the greatest extent possible and may not exceed a total duration of 42 days. Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith says he supports most of those provisions, except the one that limits the authority of local governments to issue emergency orders. I want to applaud Chair Leak because there's a lot of good uh, and important concepts uh, in the bill here that I support. But the language about preempting local government emergency power, it's still a poison pill. We should not be severely restricting the emergency powers of local governments. I think that makes us less safe. And I think that mayors shouldn't have to ask permission from Tallahassee in order to be the mayors that they were elected to be. And for that reason, unfortunately, I will be uh, respectfully voting uh, no on the bill because the preemption of local emergency powers is a poison pill. But I, I do look forward to working with Chair Leak on making better some of the items that we discussed today. The bill passed after lawmakers rejected several amendments from Democrats. The pandemic panel also approved a separate bill that creates a $1 billion emergency preparedness and response fund to help deal with future disasters. The governor's response to the COVID crisis is being called out by a new political group called Ron Be Gone. As the name suggests, they would like to see DeSantis lose his re-election bid next year. Former Miami-Dade Congresswoman Debbie Mukersell-Powell is a member of the board at Ron Begon, and she fired the opening salvo over his handling of COVID-19 and the vaccination program. We are a group uh, from all walks of life that came together to hold Governor DeSantis accountable on the failure that he has been as governor. We all know that as coronavirus was coming into Florida, he failed to lead by not acknowledging at the time that we were seeing extensive community spread. And he was always absent when we had statewide calls to look at how we were going to try and contain this virus. But what we have seen in the past few weeks, prioritizing his donors and using the vaccine distribution plan to provide vaccines in communities where he wants to win political points it's not just corrupt, but it's extremely dangerous. We know now that Florida is leading in the B117 variant. We have the highest number of cases here in the state of Florida. We also have 
the highest number of P1 Brazil variant. Uh, some data that was released where we learned those numbers was due to the fact that the Orlando Sentinel had to sue uh, the governor and the Florida Department of Health in order to receive public records. Um, we have also seen that Black and Hispanic communities who have been disproportionately affected by COVID, not only in cases, but also in mortality rates, have been falling behind and have not been included in the data that has been released by the Florida Department of Health, but also um, in being part of the distribution plan. And we all know that these communities comprise of essential workers, nurses, teachers that are right now doing their job, but being exposed to a highly deadly virus. The vice mayor of Coral Springs, Joshua Simmons, is also serving on the board of Ron Begone. You know, most will see this as a partisan, a partisan attack, you know, people that don't want to hear facts. Uh, in reality, you know, we're a bunch of Floridians who are judging the record of Governor DeSantis, um, you know, especially when he's pursuing re-election. I'm a part of this because it was hard to judge what Governor DeSantis, you know, stood for in 2018. Um, he virtually ran without a platform. Uh, but here in 2021, he has a record that he must answer for. You know, roughly 33,000 Floridians are dead because of the coronavirus, and a greater number of people are affected by those deaths yet Governor DeSantis has taken a victory lap. Countless business owners had to give up on their dreams due to no fault of their own, yet Governor DeSantis is pleased with himself. Why? The vaccination strategy has been haphazard, leaving thousands of nervous Floridians confused on who and how they can receive their shot, you know, uh, but a select few were able to skip the lines and get their vaccines. You know, some of his wealthiest donors were able to just jump the line and get their vaccines, right? And Florida's economy, yeah, okay, it's getting back on track and it's trending in a positive direction. However, I placed that result at the feet of local elected officials who in the middle of a pandemic decided that they needed to make sure that their local businesses were supported. And what I have seen is a Governor DeSantis used this crisis to pad his own coffers, to promote his own political future, right? Flirting with a possible run for a president in 2024, when millions of Floridians are suffering on all fronts. Members of Ron Begone describe it as a grassroots-funded organization solely dedicated to taking on Ron DeSantis and supporting the eventual Democratic nominee for governor in 2022. A Senate committee approves a non-binding resolution condemning white supremacy and white nationalism. Resolution 1074 is sponsored by Senator Chevron Jones of West Park. Right now within, within our country, we know that it's a sad reality that these polarized issues that we deal with uh, on a daily basis have, have divided us. But uh, there is a voice within all of us of the constituents that we represent uh, to show that we are unified in our efforts to bring unity um, not only to the state of Florida, um, but also to this country by condemning those uh, who, are, who support white nationalism. Uh, and I'm asking that we, uh, that we move forward with this to let um, the state of Florida know, the 21 million people know, uh, that it's, it's the only way we can get to where we're trying to go is through unity. Senator Kelly Stargell of Lakeland supported the resolution, and she says it's more than just white supremacy. She's fed up with all the hate that has become all too common in America. I don't know if this is the way of bringing us together, but we all recognize that white supremacy is awful and intolerable. I think we have many things um, across the spectrum of people who are just hating each other all around. Mm -hmm. 
I think that's evidenced in the, and I, I, pull, I found the report that I was trying to find on the, um, on the hate crime incidents, you know, and those hate crimes that occurred, I mean, 20 of them, 20% were against religious bias. 16% were victims of sexual orientation. 7% were from gender identity. 2% were because someone had a disability. 0.9 was because of gender, specifically just gender. 52% of that was done by white people. 23% uh, was done by black people. The other was unspecified. I think the point is, is as a country, everyone is hating on everyone. Mm -hmm. And I hate that about where we are right now. And I hope that we can work together to bring ourselves together and recognizing that you can disagree without being disagreeable. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot, you know, and I'm one of those who have very strong feelings on things, um, but I do my best to not be disagreeable about it, recognizing that other people feel strongly as well. So I'm gonna support the amendment. I, obviously, we absolutely are opposed to white supremacy, white nationalism, all of the hate. And I, and I know that it's a sensitive, when you say, um, all lives matter. I understand how people get sensitive to that. And that's not what I'm saying here. I'm saying that we all need to stop hating. Yeah. The resolution condemning white supremacy and white nationalism passed the Senate Governmental Oversight and Accountability Committee unanimously. The Senate Banking and Insurance Committee approves a bill saying the copay for a one-month supply of insulin will be capped at 100 bucks. Don Springs with the Florida Association for Diabetes Care and Education says the state has to do something about the spiraling cost. People with diabetes are facing a crisis and need help today. Insulin prices tripled between 2002 and 2013 and have doubled since the years since then. But the chemical formulary for insulin hasn't changed. A recent study said that the cost to produce a vial of insulin of most analog insulins runs from $3.69 to $6.16 a vial, and the cost to the market is typically $300 and higher. I know there are complicated explanations of how to get to this pricing, but at the end of the day, the patients are not getting the insulin they require with such high prices. As an insulin-requiring person myself, I can assure you that insulin is life-sustaining uh, and that there are no medications that can be substituted for insulin. Senator Doug Broxson of Gulf Breeze says he appreciates the problem facing diabetics, but he says they're targeting insurance companies when the real culprits here are the drug companies. We're dealing with the wrong part of the formula. Uh, we have three major manufacturers who, over a period of years, have bought off their competition and then make slight changes to their patent, and then they create a patent that uh, is protected, and they eliminate all the competition. If we were in an illegal a drug conversation, we would call this a cartel. But we're not. We're dealing with three major companies that have stockholders that uh, make these decisions that they are going to increase the cost of these drugs. Uh, I'm going to vote for the bill, but it's going to probably not go any place again this year because what it's going to do is going to injure uh, the people that uh, provide our health insurance. They're going to absorb every dollar, and we haven't spoken to the three major corporations that continue to continually raise the cost of these drugs. Senator Lori Berman of Delray Beach says they really can't do anything about the drug company pricing policies, but she hopes this bill will send them a message. I'm very concerned about the manufacturers also, but I think by passing this bill, we send a message to those manufacturers that this is not okay, and they're going to have to do something about it. Fifteen other states have done this. As a matter of fact, 
The governor of Kentucky, I believe, just signed a bill yesterday for a $30 copay cap for their state. Utah and West Virginia are also considering legislation. Um, we need to be one of those states that protect our consumers. All these other states are doing it. There's no reason why we shouldn't be doing it. We've heard families are struggling, they're sharing their insulin, which leads to really bad health effects, including possibly death. Um, you know, I'm all for letting the free market work, but it's not working with insulin, and we need to do something, and this will send a message that it is unacceptable for us to have people suffering in our state. So I ask for your favorable support. The insulin bill passed unanimously in this committee, but has yet to be heard in the House. Looks like clear sailing for a bill to overrule the voters of Key West, who decided last year to impose new limits on cruise ships. Josh Abishan is with a group called Florida Ports for Economic Independence. He says those restrictions were imposed to protect the coral reefs that are vital to the fishing industry and the unique aquatic environment of the Keys. When cruise ships started coming, they were smaller and less frequent. And it was a valuable addition to our tourist economy, and they didn't have the same disastrous effect on the environment. But over the years, those who profited the most wanted more and bigger ships. We never got a say in this. Since 2005, there are some 45% larger ships calling on Key West and an ever-increasing amount of them. Every time one of these enormous ships comes to Key West, it rips up the bottom, chews up everything in its path, and leaves a trail of bleeding C4 behind it. Rather than uh, banning the cruise ships, the reasonable limits placed by the referenda have been helping with coral reef recovery, the fish are coming back, and it's improved the water quality. This bill would erase those environmental improvements and take away private property rights to benefit a few harbor pilots who believe they're going to make a lot less money. But the sponsor of the ports bill, Senator Jim Boyd of Bradenton, says a lot of people in Key West make a living off those cruise ships and their economic impact goes far beyond the Keys. What about the private property rights of the dock owners down there that can no longer accept vessels? What about them? They've, some of those families have owned those docks for decades. What about them? Um, also, uh, it was stated that the Key West economy has rebounded quite well without cruise ships. Well, that is because, according to the economics, uh, the economists that I've talked, listened to, and, and the information I've received, is because Key West has kind of become the Caribbean of the South, with uh, you know many of the Caribbean countries being closed down due to COVID. So a lot of people are traveling, you know, by plane or by car, to Key West to enjoy the tropics, if you will, in, in that type of environment. Uh, the Greater Key West Chamber of Commerce says that cruise passengers account for more than 20% of spending in Key West. And when you do not include the cost of lodging, uh, local cruise spending accounts, and, and so on and so forth, all of those account for more than $90 million per year. The folks you haven't heard from today, because they're down there working, trying to make a living, are the folks that are impacted most by that referendum. And they're the families that are just trying to put food on the table for their kids. There's a lot of working folks in Key West that really don't have a chance to voice their opinion. You've got a group that put the referendum up and, you know, they were successful. Um, but I don't know that even the, the, the voting, I guess you could, one side you could argue speaks for itself. But there's so many folks down there that depend on um, the, the tourism economy and the cruise ship economy. Uh, and as to respects to the cruise ships, um, We've seen no credible scientific data that suggests these cruise ships are tearing up the reefs. Think about the broader economic impact. It, it impacts the, the area, the city, the region, the state. So it isn't far-fetched that these things could dramatically impact 
commerce, not just in the local ports, but broader through the region and through the state. Boyd's bill was approved by the Community Affairs Committee. The vote was five to three. Next up on Sunrise, your calendar of events and the story of a Florida woman rescued from the sewers of Delray Beach. In Florida, if you fall behind on court debt payments, the state takes away your driver's license. But if you can't drive, you can't work. So how can you make enough money to pay the debt? This policy makes no sense. Let's end debt-based license suspensions and help Florida get back to work. Welcome back to your Sunrise Calendar. At 10 o'clock, the Office of Insurance Regulation holds a hearing on a proposal by National Specialty Insurance Company to raise homeowner rates. At 11, the Florida Supreme Court releases its weekly opinions. At noon, the Florida Tiger Bay Club holds an online panel discussion called An Insider's Look at Politics. Former Congressman David Jolly, Republican strategist Frank Terraferma, and Democratic strategist Steve Shale are your panelists. The Senate holds a floor session beginning at 1 and could vote on a proposal to abolish the Constitutional Revision Commission. If approved by lawmakers, that proposal would go before the voters next year. The House holds a floor session beginning at 2 and will take up a controversial bill that Republican leaders say is needed to crack down on violent protest. It's their response to the Black Lives Matter demonstrations last year. Democrats call it an unconstitutional assault on free speech and public assembly that does nothing to address the issues that inspired those demonstrations. The House will also take up a measure to shield businesses and health care companies from lawsuits related to COVID-19. The Senate has already approved it. Finally today, police in Delray Beach say a naked 43-year-old Florida woman who was rescued from an underground drainage ditch told them that she was swimming in a canal in West Delray when she got lost in a series of subterranean tunnels. A woman called 911 after hearing the victim call for help from beneath the street. 911, do you have an emergency? Hi, yes, there's somebody stuck in a sewer over here on Atlantic in uh, sorry, 11th a, Avenue. Oh, somebody's stuck there's in There's a the lady stuck in a sewer. Yes, okay. ma'am, she what? cannot get out. She's screaming for help. After she was rescued, the Florida woman said she had been stuck underground for three weeks. The police report described her as dehydrated but lucid. It also said she had a history of mental health issues, drug addiction, and making poor decisions when under the influence. That's it for Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.